Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The third epistle of John in verse 2. First, let's pray before we look at that verse. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. We invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide. We open up our hearts to his ministry. Give us ears to hear and hearts to know and receive, dear Father God, the truth that will make us free. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost, for thinking through my thoughts and speaking through my lips. Thank you, dear Father, for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim with boldness and accuracy your holy word. We give you all the glory for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. In the third epistle of John, verse 2, we read, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. We started a teaching last Wednesday night called Obtaining Emotional Wholeness. And I want to continue that teaching here this morning. And so for those of you who might not have been here and you're interested in this subject, Pick up a tape, a copy of that. I'm going to review a few points, but go a little bit further in our teaching. And uh, you'll be advised as to what's already been said a little bit. But pick up the tape if you'd like to and get a hold of some other things that were said. But before I reiterate anything, I want to give you another verse of Scripture. Just write it down. It's very important. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Really, if we want emotional wholeness, that verse has got to be a reality to us. Emotional wholeness. Notice peace. That word peace is talking about perfectness. Being perfect in spirit, soul, and body. And that's talking about in our mind, will, and emotions also. So peace of mind, in other words, comes as we stay, keep our minds stayed on Him, fixed, in other words, on Him. Notice, not on the things that He does, but on Him. Did you hear that? But on Him. See, sometimes we're too caught up in the things that God does, in the things that God provides, in the things His Word provides, and our focus is no longer fixed on Him the, the, the God who gives. See, we're on the gift or the, the blessing that He gives. And we want to change that right from the word go. We want to see to it that we have things in proper priority. We seek Him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, not things that He does. Him. In other words, He wants us to love Him. He wants us to know Him intimately. He wants us to to fellowship with Him and commune with Him. And you know, beloved, when you really know Him and how good He is, it brings peace to your mind. And so let's target the right areas. And if we'll do that, beloved, then we're going to have peace of mind, without a doubt. Okay? And so let's, let's remember that. Now, God does want us to prosper in all areas of our lives. There's no question about that. But in order to do so, we've got to first prosper in our souls. That's talking about soul prosperity, which means our mind and emotions are under the control of the spiritual forces that are in our spiritual lives. 
And unless our souls are prospering, it'll be difficult for us to prosper in all the other areas of, of life. And once again, in order for our souls to prosper, our, our minds have got to be fixed on who God is. On Him as, as God, as the person of God, not just the things that He does. The person of Jesus Christ. See Him for who He is. Get to know Him intimately. Paul said, my earnest desire is that I might know Him. And that word know in the Greek means exact knowledge, that I would come into the exact knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know Him intimately and personally. And the more we fix our minds on who He is, then those things that He does come as an added benefit. Seek God's kingdom first, and all the other things will be added to us. And so if we want prosperity, we're going to have to see to it. And I'm talking about prosperity in all areas of life, not just materialistically or anything like that, all areas of life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, as well as whether it be financially or any other way. You know, we need things in this life, of course, and He'll provide that. But we've got to have a sound mind and our minds have got to prosper. Now, we looked at some verses of Scripture in Proverbs 25 and 28. Let's look at those uh, verses again in Proverbs 25 and 28 and 16 and 32. Proverbs 25 and 28. Right now, we are facing the fact that many Christians are overwhelmed emotionally. Life that we live right now in this United States of America is at a fast pace. There is much stress in every person's life. Marital relationships, family relationships, business relationships, and it just goes on and on. We're facing a lot of stressful times, of great perplexity, and we're told in the Word of God that that would happen in the last days. As a result of not knowing how to deal with this kind of emotional stress, many have had emotional breakdowns. Or many are just bound up emotionally and controlled by their emotions in such a way that they can't get free. As a result, of course, it's very difficult for them to cope with life. Well, God has a solution to every problem. Amen? And He is our problem solver. And we need to go to the Word of God and discover how we can have peace of mind and obtain emotional wholeness through God's methods and means. And I'll tell you something right now. God's ways are perfect. And God's ways are free. That's good too, isn't it? In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirits like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, look at that in light of Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He that is slow to anger or who has control over his emotions is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. In other words, when a person is in control of his emotional state and his emotional state is not in control of him, that person is, is stronger and mightier than a strong city. But a person who is out of control and his spirit is not in control of his emotions, that person is like a city without walls. And a city without walls has no protection. Now, they can relate to that because back in those days, their cities were walled. The people were on the inside. 
And because of those walled cities and guards along the walls and gates, you know, the enemy and adversaries could not come in at night. They would shut the, the gates, lock the gates, secure the gates, and put guards over top of the walls. And they would see to it that no intruder was allowed to come in. And, of course, inside they were safe and secure. Well, that's an example of the believer's life today. The, the mind has walls and gates that can be set up and, and secured and guarded to protect the man on the inside so that he doesn't allow any adversary or enemy come in and take over his territory. But if the person is not in control of his emotions, then he's like a city without walls. And because there are no walls or gates to keep the enemy on the outside, the enemy will come in and move into your territory on the inside and then build up his own walls and imprison you and imprison me. See, every single one of us has got to understand the need for us to build the right kind of walls in our minds and in our lives so as to prevent the enemy from coming in and taking over our territory. That is the territory of our lives so that we're not held in bondage to anything, to any emotion. Second Corinthians chapter 10, if you would please. And again, I'm only reiterating very quickly a few points so that we can continue on. If we allow the enemy to put pressure on our mind and emotions, then he will, he will be successful in holding us captive on the inside and bring destruction to our lives. But if we, through the power of God, rise up and refuse to allow the enemy's pressure on our emotions to control us spiritually by setting up the proper walls and, and establishing the proper gates, then we'll be able to, able to overcome all the pressures of life and stand strong on the inside and secure on the inside and we won't be destroyed in overcoming our emotions. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, we read this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, just for a moment, what are those strongholds? Fortified cities. A stronghold is a fortified place. If our emotions are allowed to destroy us from without, then what will happen is those walls will come down. And when those walls come down, the enemy will come on the inside, use our emotions against us and use our mind and our thoughts against us to establish his own walled city called a stronghold or a fortified place and then will be in bondage or imprisoned you know, by our own thoughts and emotions. Our own thoughts and emotions and feelings will hold us captive and we'll not be able to escape because now we're on the inside and those walls are up. Well, we've got to do something about pulling down those strongholds that have been built up in our lives over the years. And here's what it says. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, now notice this expression, every thought unto the obedience of Christ. See, beloved, the mind contains walls and gates that are to protect the heart from outside influences and forces and pressures. If we allow those wrong things to have entrance into our lives, these strongholds will be developed through thoughts and images. Notice, thoughts, imaginations produce strongholds. Thoughts 
and imaginations produce strongholds. We're to cast down every thought and image that exalts itself against the knowledge of God so that we don't have produced in our lives strongholds that hold us in prison. Now, we talked about how we can do that. And again, I'm going to recommend get the tape because we talked about the walls of Jericho. How those strong and mighty walls were there to protect the city from outside forces and influences. Those walls had to come down in order for God's people to be successful and take the land that God had given them. And they took seven, well, seven days it took, but they took one walk around the city, the walls, every single day. And the presence or the glory of God went before them. And they didn't speak a word. So in other words, they just began to think how big God was as God presence went before them, walking around those walled cities, fortified cities, walls that no one could penetrate. They thought they were secure forever, those people. But every single day that they went around there blowing the ram's horn and just acknowledging the presence of God, their minds were fixed on Him. Their minds were fixed on Him. Their minds were stayed on Him. God's bigger than these walls, these walls that we face. God's bigger than the enemy that we face. They did that once a day for seven days. On a seventh day, they, they did it seven times. And God got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger even in them every single day until finally they began to shout. You know, beloved, when faith sees the victory, one shouts. In other words, no matter how big the problem is, they got bigger on the inside and God in them got bigger because they kept looking at Him and who He is and how big He is and how wonderful He is and how good He is. And as a result, those Jericho walls came down, didn't they? Well, if we've got strongholds in our lives that the enemy has built up over the years and we're on the inside imprisoned by our emotions and feelings and thoughts, then we can do likewise. If it takes six days, five days, four days, however long it takes, get a hold of what the Word of God says about your situation and then think about how big God is. Just put your mind fixed on Him. Let your thoughts... Also affirm how good God is, how big God is, how wonderful He is, and who He is in your life. And as a result, you'll begin to see this truth on the inside of you. And you know when the man on the inside gets stronger, you know what happens? The walls start coming down. You'll shout, and I'll tell you what, those walls will come down. And you'll no longer be in bondage to that you know, emotion or that thought or whatever it is that the enemy has built up in your life. Well, what are the gates? The gates are the ear gates and the eye gates. Make note of that. The ear gates and the eye gates. What we let in the ear and in the eye, those gates can either work for us or against us. If we hear the wrong things, if we think the wrong things, if we see the wrong things, then we're going to have wrong things. We've got to recognize our need to do something about what we're hearing and what we're seeing with our eyes if we are going to be victorious in our lives. Because if we allow the wrong thing in, we'll be in bondage. For an example, I remember because of my upbringing how I once was bound up by religious tradition. You know, we can be imprisoned by religious tradition. As a matter of fact, you know, as I was growing up and in church, you didn't do anything demonstratively in church. There was no outward show or display of emotion in church. And as a result of being brought up that way and really never knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, 
Well, finally, once I got saved, I was extremely reserved. Now, especially when I went to a church service. And the first time I ever went to a Pentecostal church service, a church service like this here, I mean, I walked in, sat on the pew, and I saw all these people lifting up their hands and praising God like this here. I sat on mine. I thought maybe one of those ushers was going to try to come along and make me lift up my hand or something. You know. But I was, I was reared up that way. I was schooled that way. I was taught that way. So as a result, I didn't do anything like that. You know, we can have inhibitions in our lives because of our upbringing, because of the way, you know, we did things in the past, because of our thoughts, because of our training and all that. And we don't even realize it. And you know, those things can hinder us from really knowing God better and hinder us from being obedient to worship God the way He wants us to worship Him. And I mean, I was just as adamant as you can get. I sat on my hands and I said, they will not get me to lift up my hands. Nobody's going to get me to say, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. No one was going to get me to do that. I was genuinely saved, but I wasn't renewed in the spirit of my mind. You know what I mean by that? I was saved, but I was, you know, living by the past experiences and trainings that I had in my life. Well, how many of you know that your Christian life in, especially in Pentecostal circles, is like being at a slippery creek bank. You hang around it long enough, you're going to slide in. Well, I hung around it long enough and I began to realize that God said in His Word. I was a stickler for the Word of God. He said, Oh, clap your hands, oh, you people. I didn't know it said that in the Bible. But once I saw that, I said, Oh, I've got freedom to do that now. And what, what happened was, those walls that were once built up, I was pulling down. Now, I'll tell you something else. I played the guitar in bands before I ever got saved. And I mean, I would just get out there and, you know, play all kinds of things for, for parties and weddings and, and nightclubs everywhere. I mean, I played the thing everywhere, you know. Well, once I got saved because of my upbringing once again, I figured, that thing, I've got to sell it. I've got to get rid of that thing because you don't use that thing anymore once you get saved. I mean, I'm not going to go playing in nightclubs now that I'm saved and all that. You know what I mean? As a matter of fact, no one ever told me. I walked back, I, I got saved, I walked into a nightclub one time where we were, I was, I'm, this was my livelihood. Can you understand this? See, some people say, well, what's, what's that to give up? That was my livelihood. I was a guitar teacher and I played in bands. That was my livelihood. And so when I say I gave it up, I gave up my income. Are you understanding this? So, but before this, I didn't know. I mean, I was just saved. Just like, you know, walking into that church, I wasn't going to raise my hands. Well, I didn't know once you're saved, you shouldn't go back into a nightclub and play, you know, in that environment so we just it was as the custom was to go and get another gig we called them another job right another gig so we're going to make some money you know and all that so i walked into one sat down there i like to explode it on the inside of me i mean something on the inside of me said you don't belong here you ever get this gut feeling and you're sitting there, and I mean, you are under conviction. I mean, dear Lord. And I'm just sitting there, I'm starting to sweat. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> that thing, as far as I was concerned, put that thing away and never use it again. It took me a, a while, a long time before I realized I could play it in church, because I wasn't used to that. I, I didn't know you can play a guitar and, you know, get with it. You want to talk about something funny? God loved that pastor. I got saved. You know when you first get saved, the wonderful time that you have when you first get saved, got saved, went to a church, you know, like this here, someone introduced me to this particular church, I went to this church, and of course, I was one who would do anything I could possibly do, teach a class, give my testimony, 
have a men's breakfast fellowship and just go ahead and give my testimony or do whatever they want me to do. Well, the, the pastor found out I played the guitar. And he played the guitar also. You know, he would just strum along. Now, remember, I'm still fresh coming out of the nightclub scene. You know, and he says, would you come up here and help us play the guitar? And, and, and that's what, so I brought my electric guitar. And, you know, I, I thought, well, I guess it's okay. The pastor asked me to do it. It must be okay to do it in church. He never heard, I'll fly away, old glory. <laughs> I got more than one or two looks. I thought you played just, just the way you play. You know, and it, it, it was the... It was, you know, just, it, it was actually, I guess, that old anointing that was still there, <laughs> if it's an anointing. But I had a style, that old style, you know, and I would just take it, and I finally realized, calm down, take it easy, you know, you don't have to go crazy on that thing, and so I kind of toned that thing down a little bit, I don't know. But what I'm saying is, we can have inhibitions in our lives, we can have walls built up, we can have walls of rejection built up, because we've been rejected. You know, and we just get inside ourselves and we have all these walls built up on the outside of us. We can have fear of failure. You know, emotional hurt can come from many different ways. You can lose your job. You can lose your job and not know, know what you're going to do. Now, there may be someone who loses his job and he has confidence that he will find another job without any problem. So he doesn't have any emotional problems. But there may be another person who loses his job or her job. And, I mean, they can't handle it. They just can't handle it. There are many out there, beloved, who lose a job and have a mental breakdown. Because they can't handle it. See? And so that's what happens. They have lost a sense of security in their lives. And now all of a sudden, you know, they are under the control of their emotional feelings. And everything is dictating to them that failure, defeat, you're not going to be able to provide for your family and all these different things. And before you know it, they emotionally cannot handle it. Some have gotten physically sick because they could not handle the fact that they lost their job. Grief. Grief has its, its proper place in our lives when you lose a loved one or something like that. But beloved, if grief goes beyond its intended purpose in our lives, you know what happens? A person can have a nervous breakdown. They can absolutely lose control you know, and find themselves in a mental institution because they can't handle the fact that they've lost a dear loved one. And so even in the body of Christ, we're going to face all these things in life. How many of you know that Christians lose their jobs? Christians face sickness and disease. Christians, you know, have uh, problems in their marital relationships and families with their children. And just like anybody else, we all have situations that we're going to encounter in this life. But, beloved, we have got to learn how to control our emotions and not let our emotions control us so that we can have victory in our lives. Okay, we're talking about some guidelines that will help us to obtain emotional wholeness. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 131, if you would, please, and verse 2. And these truths from God's Word will help us obtain emotional wholeness in our lives. Remember, emotional sickness is a very real thing in life. And many people are overcome, even as Christians, as a result of the problems that we face in this life. Some people are cast down. Some are under inferiority. Some are caught up in pride. Some are emotional hurt because, let's say, they broke up with a you know, fiancé or something like that, or they're under the stronghold of guilt or condemnation. Maybe they have a poor self-image and an inferiority complex, whatever. You know, as a result of these things that are out there, our emotions, if they're allowed to control our lives, will build up strongholds and will be imprisoned on the inside and unable to escape. There will be many who will never have the freedom to worship God because of their inhibitions. 
to worship God like He wants them to. Not in a public worship service so that someone else can see me worshiping God. My brother and sister, if you're going to shout in church, make certain you shout louder at home. If you're going to dance in church, make sure you dance more at home. If you're going to sing at church, make sure you sing louder at home or in the car. Because we're not supposed to do anything as an open display because you have your reward. Psalm 131, first of all, and first and foremost, following some guidelines that will help us obtain emotional wholeness, is to know that we do not have to be controlled or destroyed by our emotions. You know, sometimes that statement in itself is enough to set people free. We do not. Everybody say with me, I do not have to be controlled or destroyed by my emotions. You don't have to be. In Psalm 131, verse 2, it says, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Now, our emotions are a big part of our lives, without doubt. And when they're not satisfied, they will act up. How many of you know that? Just like a child that is in need of nursing, your emotions will act up. Someone says something wrong to you, you know, an emotion of anger begins to rise up. You ever have somebody question something that you did, and all of a sudden you become very defensive? And sometimes you don't even know why. They were just trying to communicate a simple little thing, maybe a a constructive thing about something that you did, and all of a sudden your defense walls go up. You ever been there before? Every single one of us faces this. No matter how constructive one is, and no matter how loving they are, the flesh does not like to hear constructive criticism. Did you know that? We're all the same, beloved. Because no matter how constructive, we take it as destructive. You know, that's just the way we're programmed. That's the way we're built. That's the way we're made up. Well... We'll cry out of our emotions because, you know, we want to be defensive or we want to defend ourselves or we want it to be another way or we want to show that we are right or whatever. But the point I want to make is we all need weaned from our emotions as a child is weaned from being nursed by its mother. Get a hold of that. Every single one of us needs weaned from our emotions. They're always going to be there. That's true. There's always going to be a need for us to be fed. We're going to, you know, always be hungry. But hunger doesn't have to control us. Isn't that true? And our emotions, although they'll always be there, do not have to be in control all the time. They do not have to control us, and they do not have to destroy us. And we've got to learn how to be weaned. Notice, it said right there, I have behaved and quieted myself. We've got to learn to quiet ourselves when it comes to our emotions. Our emotions speak loudly. Our emotions speak clearly. And whenever we're rubbed the wrong way, our emotions immediately... Rise up. If you feel as though you've been dealt an injustice, what do you do? Something crawls inside your skin. If you feel you're next in line and they wait on somebody else, 
what do you do? I mean, your flesh begins to crawl. Think about it. If someone says something derogatory to you, what happens? You want to lash out. I mean, you talk about retaliation. You know, you want to lash out and do something is equal or even worse to them. If they say something nasty about you, the flesh wants to lash out and say something nasty about them. That's the way the flesh is made up. Anger will lead people to do wrong things. That's why it said, if you can control your anger, then you're stronger than a strong city. You're mightier. See, but if you can't, your anger will lead you to do things that you'll regret and be sorry for down the road somewhere. And that's true in all of our lives. And so what has to take place is we all have got to learn to be weaned from our emotions. And it's a process that really we've got to handle for ourselves. So if I've been hurt by someone or something, that hurt is a real and genuine feeling and emotion that I have, is it not? Absolutely. Well, what are we going to do with it? We carry it around with us all the time. It is either going to brick by brick build up walls that are going to imprison us, or we're going to have to recognize I don't have to be under the control of my feelings and emotions. And if someone says something bad about me, I do not have to respond in a negative way. I can still be under the control of God's divine love which is not based on emotion, it is based on the revelation of God's Word and decision. Now, let me show you how true this is. Anybody here ever go through any kind of basic training? Raise your hand if you did. How many times would you like to lash out at your drill sergeant? Hmm? Anybody here ever go through any athletic training? Oh, I had a guy when I was in school. I'm, I played football. We talk about th this guy was absolutely a lunatic, borderline. I would say more on the other side. <laughs> Do you know what he did for for a break? We're going to take a break now. Break. His break was called jogging place. That was your break. So you can imagine he worked us. Can I use this expression practically to death? I'm not talking about high school. I'm talking about grade school. I had it worse in grade school than I had in high school when I played ball. If you didn't draw their blood, you weren't on the first team defense. And when you got down in your stance, I was a tailback. So if you got down in your stance and you put your fingers out like that, he stepped on them. He wanted them like this. Put them out like that. I don't know why. Didn't matter to me if they were that way or the other way. You know. But to him, it was important. And so he'd walk around and just watch and see if you put your fingers out like that. He'd step on them. He was vicious. And I tell you, but if you wanted to start Saturday, night, Saturday night afternoon at tailback spot, you didn't lash out. You bit your tongue. Controlled your emotions. Do you see what I'm talking about? Whether you're in basic training, whether you're being trained, you know, athletically, singing, all kinds of different things. The person who has the knowledge, who is your mentor, who is the one who's going to instruct you, they have more knowledge than you have. But you know what? Ego always gets in the way. 
Sometimes we just want to do it our way. And they can rub you the wrong way, but because of their position and because of their authority over you, what do you do? You retaliate and rebel when you're in this armed forces, I guarantee you, you're not going to like what the consequence of that is. So what do you do? And to those that are a problem, I guarantee you, they shape up after a while when they find out what their discipline is. Isn't that true? What's happening to them? Think about it. They're learning to be weaned from their emotions. See? We can do it in certain settings. Did you know that? What about the employee-employer relationship? I guarantee you, you held your tongue until the day you knew you were going to quit. And when you knew you were going to quit, you may have given that person a piece of your unrenewed mind. (laughs) Right? But for all that time, what did you do? You held it in. You know what problem in our society today is most people do throughout the course of the day hold it in because they are under somebody else and they go home and take it out on their wife. I better back up and forget about that. (laughs) That's true. Why? Because that person really doesn't have the kind of authority or their position's not in danger. And so they're quick to just take it out on their husband or wife or whatever the you know, case is. Because they're not controlling their emotions. Well, if we can do it for an eight-hour period at work, or if we can do it during a certain time for basic training, or if we have done it to, you know, once again, to be schooled in art or to be schooled in singing or to be schooled in whatever, well, then it shows that we can do it, doesn't it? But it's up to us to do it all the time and recognize that the most difficult time to do it is in the most relaxed setting. Isn't that true? In the most relaxed setting, which usually is at home, it's the most difficult thing to do. Because at that point, when someone rubs you the wrong way or says something wrong, whatever, you just kind of let your hair down and just let it go. Just let it rip. But you know what? The enemy has the upper hand if that's the case. See, beloved, the opposite should be true. At home, when we're in our most relaxed setting, we should be most aware of the fact that the enemy will come along to try to instigate certain things so as to build up these strongholds in our lives and to get us down. Because, you see, when we don't do anything about it, then our spiritual condition weakens. Please make a note of that. I mentioned earlier grief. Grief is a definite emotion that we have when we lose a loved one. If a person does not learn how to deal with grief and get weaned from their emotions, then that person can be devastated and imprisoned for the rest of their life. You can't change certain things that happen. And therefore, we have got to change and deal with the grief that we have. If you're emotionally hurt because you broke up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you know that it's a genuine feeling and emotion. But the thing is, if you continue to allow it to control you, you may be like someone who is in a mental institution right now because he lost his fiancée. And I know of individuals who are there as a result of losing a fiancée. And again, it just goes on and on. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, of things that come our way to destroy our lives. But we have got to learn to do something about it. And first of all, 
learn this. You don't have to be controlled by your emotions. You don't have to be destroyed by your emotions. I want to show you something here in the book of Genesis, if you, if you would please. Follow me back here in Genesis chapter 4. This is what will happen to us if we don't recognize the need for us to be in control of our emotions. In Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, which I'm sure you well know, but again, I believe it's important to bring it out. Beginning at verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. There's the beginning of his emotional breakdown. He became angry. His head was brought down. His countenance fell. Isn't that what happens when our emotions are allowed to have control? Ever find yourself sad one day and oppressed and you don't even know why? You just wake up in the morning and all of a sudden, you know, you have this feeling. And sometimes you can't even explain why you feel that way. Some cases you may know, in some cases you may not. But the thing is, it's real, isn't it? You know, many people, because they have not learned how to deal with that, and we all, believe me, come into contact with it, are being destroyed. And if they're not in a mental home somewhere, they're walking on the street somewhere out of control. Well, look it. In verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? That's the first question we should ask ourselves when we're like that. Why am I this way? Why am I down? Why is my countenance fallen? Why is my demeanor? Why, why do I have these emotions? What is causing me to be the way I am? Why am I this way? I really believe that that is dealing with the root cause and that will help us rise up above the problem. God has given us, I believe, a counseling session right here. The first thing He asks the person who is mentally oppressed is what? Why are you this way? Can you answer that question? Can they answer that question? You know, and it could be because I lost a loved one. It could be because, you know, um, went through a divorce. It could be because I lost my boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be because I lost my job. It could be because of various things. Many reasons. Pressures of life, whatever. But ask yourself the question, why am I this way? I don't have to be controlled by emotional feelings. And neither do you. Or destroyed. So ask yourself the question, why... Are you this way? And notice this. If you do well, or if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted also? Or be lifted up? You know, the Bible says that God is the glory and the lifter of our heads. And that's exactly what that means. You know, some people think, well, it just means He's going to shower His glory upon us. Wait a minute. He's talking about lifting up our heads. He doesn't want us to go around through life, downcast, our countenance fallen, and destroyed in our emotions. God is the glory and the lift of our heads. Notice, when you're bent over and looking down, you're not looking at God. We're looking away from God. God wants us to, to lift up our hearts, our eyes, our focus upon Him. Remember, He wants us to, do, us to diligently seek Him and have our minds on Him. And for the most part, you'll find out that you're rehearsing all kinds of things through your mind... And all of a sudden, your emotions are running rampant. Our eyes are not on Him. That will keep Him in perfect emotional state if your mind is stayed upon Him. 
But now it's not on him. Well, here's what happened. His mind wasn't on God. Look it. If you do right or well, you'll be accepted. If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And unto you shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He's actually telling him how to resist sin. Listen carefully. He is saying, look, the offering that you need to make is right there at the door. Listen carefully. We can let the right thing in through the door, remember the gate, or the wrong thing. If we let the right thing in, we'll have victory. Let the wrong thing in, we'll have defeat. He's trying to tell Cain how to get the situation turned around. Your emotions are controlling you right now. Recognize that. If you do the right thing, you'll have victory over sin. You do the wrong thing, sin's going to have power and rule over you. Okay? And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Isn't it amazing how he saw Abel as being his problem, but not himself? The problem was not his brother. Abel was not the problem. Abel offered the gift and the sacrifice that God told him to offer. He did the right thing to please God. Cain did not do the right thing to please God. But God didn't say, I reject you because of this. He said, I can't accept your offering because it's not the right offering. But the offering that you are to offer is right over there. It's right there at the door. So resist sin. Resist thinking that you can do it by yourself. And look to me and offer this offering that I have told you to offer. And it will be well with your soul also. In other words, your countenance will be lifted. You'll have the same victory and the same freedom that your brother Abel has. But Cain did not do that. He saw the problem as being his brother. And you know, sometimes we see others as being our problem. I'd be a whole lot better if it were not for so-and-so. If they just didn't do this to me, I'd be a better person. We can all say that in life. I'd be a lot happier. I'd be more... If it were not for so-and-so, everything would be okay. In other words, I can't get victory in my life. I cannot have my countenance lifted until someone else changes. No. That's not what he told him. He said, if you do the right thing, your countenance will change. You'll be lifted. Well, he didn't do the right thing. You know the story. And it came to pass in verse 8, when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And then it goes on from there. He was rejected. You know the whole story. A curse was pronounced upon him. Well, beloved, if that's the case, then emotions undealt with can bring death and destruction, if not to others, to ourselves. People can be destroyed from within. And they're no longer functioning properly in life as a result of these things, uncontrolled emotions. Not ruling over the emotions. But you see, if we can get them around the teaching of God's Word and get them to acknowledge these truths from God's Word, I really believe they could be helped. I do really believe that, beloved, that people who with emotional problems can be helped through the Word of God if they'll just allow the Word to have access to their hearts and minds. Open up the right gate, the ear and the eye gate. Let in the Word of God, the light of God. Your countenance will change. You know you have control over your emotions and your emotions won't control you. And you'll have victory. Another guideline is found in James 1.21. A very important verse. Also, 
And that is to pull down the strongholds or the walls that the enemy has built in your life and establish your life and your emotions on a foundation of God's Word. Every single one of us must do this work for ourselves. We cannot do it for somebody else. Every one of us has got to recognize the individual need to pull down the walls that hold us in prison and rebuild new walls based on the Word of God. In James chapter 1, we read in verse 21 another statement about the soul of man. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls, or deliver you from corrupt reasonings. In other words, remember we're talking about the mind and emotions. We have all kinds of reasonings within our minds. Unless we receive the engrafted Word of God, implanted Word of God into our lives, then what we do, we just fill our minds up with all kinds of reasonings of men, reasonings of society, reasonings of the world, reasonings of philosophers, and it goes on and on. And so our lives are not established upon the foundation of the Word of God and the love of God. And as a result, in times of difficulty, in times of great perplexity and stress, many cave in. Now, I recognize that even apart from God's Word, there are those that don't have mental breakdowns. But you know what? There's still many of them are out there, but they're not happy. I guarantee you there is a void on the inside because their eternal destiny is not secure. And so there is still a void on the inside of them and they're never going to be as fulfilled in their lives until they make Christ the Savior of their lives. Now we're talking about Christians. As Christians, it's our responsibility to dig deep into the Word of God and build our lives upon the foundation thereof. Isn't that true? Build ourselves walls based on the Word of God that are fortified, that will keep out the enemy's suggestions, the suggestions of others, the voices of others that can cause hurt feelings in our lives, the thoughts of others or whatever, all kinds of things that are out there. And if we'll do that, if we'll build our lives upon the foundation of God's Word and His love, then we'll be deprogrammed and reprogrammed to think the way God thinks. Our minds then will be stayed on Him and we'll have perfect peace in our lives. Okay, now listen carefully. Turn with me to Proverbs 14. A few scriptures here in Proverbs chapter 14 that will really help us understand the need to become spiritually strong in order to overcome our emotions and even physical situations that arise in our lives. In the book of Proverbs chapter 14, God has given us revelation and wisdom that will help us understand our need to be strong in spirit so that we're not destroyed by the soul. 14, Proverbs, verse 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Notice the emphasis on the sound heart. The man on the inside is sound and well-disciplined. Okay? Look at verse... Chapter 15, verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is what? Notice, it's broken. 
Oh, let's read a couple more. 17, 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit does what? Dries up the bones. And in 18, 14, it says the spirit of a man. But in the Amplified, it says the strong spirit of, of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Now, notice carefully. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him in his physical life. It will help him overcome many physical wounds, sicknesses, and diseases. As a matter of fact, there are many who are told they should be dead. They would have died from physical sickness and disease in their body. But as a result of a strong spirit, they overcame the disease. How many of you know people who have been healed supernaturally by the power of God because of their strong spirit? I want you to raise your hand if you really know someone. Who could have died from their disease? Okay. And so that's a truth. We know many have overcome disease because of a strong spirit. But when the spirit of that person is wounded, you know even the smallest insignificant problem becomes overwhelming? Listen carefully. When the spirit of the individual is wounded, how many of you know people who are always up cheerful? I mean, up on top of things. Always a spring in their step, a song in their heart. All of a sudden, you find that person down in the dumps. And it's a rarity. I mean, it's rare you see this person like that. And all of a sudden, you kind of wonder, what happened to him? What happened to her? You can understand this. They've got a wounded spirit. And do you know what, beloved? There are many arrows out there targeting our spirits to wound them. We've got to be wary of them. We've got to understand they're coming our way. And even though they may hurt so bad when they hit, we cannot be destroyed by those emotional feelings. We cannot afford to have a spirit that's wounded so deeply that we're out of control. Please make note of that. We can be physically weak but spiritually strong and will survive. But if we're spiritually weak and physically strong, we're in danger. We're in a bad way. When the spirit is broken through hurt, disappointment, rejection, and the like, we can be destroyed both emotionally and physically. As a matter of fact, much emotional problem Problems can be traced back to a situation that occurred that was undealt with once and for all. I know people that were hurt when they were young children, abused, sometimes sexually, abused or emotionally abused. But you know what? Until that person is instructed to deal with the problem and put it in the past forever in the sea of forgetfulness under the blood of Jesus Christ and forgive those that caused the offense and get all that right, they will always for the rest of their lives be in prison. And you know what I try to tell people? Why are you going to let one event that occurred in your life 25 years ago hold you in bondage for the rest of your life? Don't give that person that much of your life. You already gave them the one event. Don't give that person the rest of your life. Can you see that? And so then they realize they've got to deal with it. See, beloved, it's our responsibility to recognize these things and then guard. You're, you're there close by. 
Another scripture. Proverbs 4.23. We are to guard our spirit. Another guideline. With all diligence. From the attacks of people. From emotional hurts. From rejection. And all kinds of things that come our way. In Proverbs 4.23. Guard or protect. Keep thy heart. That means guard or protect your heart. With all diligence. Because out of it are the forces of life. You can be physically weak and spiritually strong. You're still okay. But if you're spiritually weak and physically strong, you're in a bad way. Can you see that? Okay. Guard the heart with all diligence. Out of it come the issues of life. Beloved, when I first came into the ministry here at Christian Assembly in 1979, that's 15 years ago, I could have failed miserably. You know why? Because when I came over from where I was into the work here, the first event I had to go to was what is called the National Convention. Maybe some of you don't even know all this by now at this time, but but back then I was a young minister, three years saved, went through Bible school, was taught the love of God, and I'm telling you, I was on fire with the love of God inside my heart. I loved all humanity. And that love was just oozing out of my pores. Came to church here, couldn't wait to go to the meeting because I was one who was like a sponge. I wanted to soak in all the knowledge and the wisdom that, you know, my colleagues had who have been pastoring churches for 25, 30, 35 years. And I wanted to get a, you just glean some light from them. You understand what I'm talking I was a very humble person. And that's why I just wanted everything to have. And so I was excited. I was enthused. I was on fire. I was just, I mean, you know, going to get it for God. Going for it big time. What happens? I get there. I'm identified as being a cult leader. I'm called a whippersnapper. And then I witness what should have been a Tyson fight. During the convention. My heart sunk within me. You know what I said when I left those meetings? What have I gotten myself into? And I stopped and said, no. I said, what have you gotten me into? Oh, I tell you. I said, you said I would be the next pastor of that church. And you brought me here to hear all this. I'm, I sat through railing accusations. I sat in meetings when people put me up on a stand like as if I was Kenneth E. Hagan. Criticized, ridiculed, vehemently in these meetings. I just sat there and took it. I could have been very discouraged. You talk about rejection? Made it very clear they didn't want me to be a part of the organization. Think about that. Three years old in the Lord. Just came out of Bible school. Excited about the work of the Lord. Boom. Lower the boom. Brothers and sisters, make note of this. Make note of this. Don't ex- this is another guideline. Don't expect others to heal your emotional hurts. Don't expect others to help heal your emotional hurts. They can't do it. Only God can I went back to the drawing board with God and said, You know what, Father God, you sent me here. 
And if anything, I'm going to demonstrate love like never before. I sat in meetings when I heard pastors say that they're flocked. They are nothing but a bunch of backstabbers. After a while, be careful. They'll stab you in the back and then twist it. And I, I said to God, I said, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody does to me. I'm still going to speak well of them. I will never go out there and say, I want you people all to know this. I have never told any, no matter what problem we've ever encountered in, in this assembly, no matter what hard time we had ever had to go through, I never went out and told other ministers that the people that I pastor are nothing but a bunch of backstabbers. I've never done that. I will not belittle people, speak ill of people, or that sort of thing, because I feel this way. We all have to answer to God someday. And if a person wants to be that way, they'll have to answer to God. And I've done my best to go overboard to continue showing the love of God, even in hurtful times. And I'm going to continue to do so. But the thing is, beloved, we have got to protect our hearts diligently so that we're not destroyed. We can expect others to heal us when we have emotional hurts. But I want to close by having you turn with me. It's close by Psalm 147. As a matter of fact, what I want you to do is put your finger there. Because there, I've got to use these two. We've got five minutes. I've got to use these two scriptures this morning, without a doubt. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I want you to also hold Psalm 147. We ask ourselves, why are we this way? Why do we feel this way? Why am I like this? Just like God said to Cain, why are you this way? Why are you like this? Certain things may have happened in life that have caused your emotional hurt. But I want you to know something right now. You may never know the answer or the cause in some situations as to why something happened. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And this is straight from the heart of God. The secret things belong unto the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You know, sometimes we've got to accept the answer that something happened and you're not going to know why. I remember Brother Hagen lost his, his sister. And he actually got on his bed and was praying to God during the funeral. He ascended in spirit, was carried up to the throne room of God where he saw Jesus talking to his sister. Because he wanted to know why this happened. Jesus, with a loving look, just looked over to him and began to talk to him and said, what happened is between her and me. I don't even want you to touch it in your thought life. That's pretty blunt. In other words, don't get destroyed emotionally over it because there's nothing that you could do about it. Whatever the root cause, whatever the situation may be, He said the secret things belong to Him. He's not going to tell us everything. And part of our experience as a Christian is to accept those things that He's just not going to reveal to us. 
And if he says don't touch it in thought life, then what are we to do? Don't touch it in thought life. Don't even think about it. Go on with your life and serve him. Because you can't change anything now. Well, what about my hurt? I'm glad you asked that. Now go to Psalm 147. Don't expect others to heal your emotional hurts. In Psalm 147, in verse 3, it says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Everybody say with me, God heals the broken heart and binds up every wound. Only He, beloved, has the ability to heal our broken heart. Man does not have the right needle and thread to bind up our wounds. In the Amplified it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, curing their pains and sorrows. Did you hear that? What has caused pain and sorrow, God cures. Only God has that cure. No human being alive has a bottled cure for that kind of pain and sorrow. And why? I'll just give you these. Write them down. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.